Hello, hello, hello. This is your girl of the gods, aka Juicy J, BKA J Money. So, I have been gone for roughly a month, <laughs> just like off the face of the earth. Well, not technically true. I've been on the face of the earth. I've been posting like a mad woman, but really just of my experience abroad and celebrating my sister's 40th birthday in Thailand and the Crucian Christmas Festival <clears throat> and all that jazz. And it's been a very interesting experience um, being away from work for such a long time from my studies and just allowing myself to be present with my family and my friends um, and to show up for my sister at a milestone in her life. And um, yeah, it's good to be home. Thailand was amazing. It was really, really fantastic. And I think I have to dedicate an entire um, piece, whether that it becomes an episode or just a publication, a published writing piece. Um, I have to dedicate an actual piece to the experience that I had in Thailand and some of the things I observed while I was away. It is such a fantastic and beautiful place and has been ranked as one of the most likely and um, uh, well-recommended places for Black women to travel to, uh, even alone, because... We are just so well received in in Thailand, just generally. And we were in central Thailand, where, which is where Bangkok is located and a number of other cities, including Kanchanaburi, which is a kind of country jungle area um, where there is an Arawan waterfall. And then Ayutthaya, which is a kind of um, historical site that was once the capital of Thailand. And then Patea, which is this modern Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> Las Vegas, Miami Vice type shit place that is completely under Western control and policies and regulations uh, because many of the entrepreneurs there are from European countries or the United States. And each of these places is so unique and has such character and really helps to uh, highlight what it means to just be in a foreign place and to be an Asian country, I think, right? Where tourism is your second industry. Um, and there are so many things that reminded me of home and the Virgin Islands and kind of like what it means to be uh, part of a community in society that relies upon consumption, right? The con like other people's consumption of your material goods, of your cultural goods, of you in order to survive economically and financially in on this global market. Uh, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to witness in other spaces and places. So I'll just say that Thailand was amazing for more reasons than one. Um, but yeah, I think that what's so fascinating about being... Um, out of commission for about a month and, and really spending so much time on vacation mode for the most part was just how so many experiences um, while away and in the company of other people 
just reminded me of the things that settle on my heart often and kind of what occupies my mind and the space and time of my mind, right? Um, so this trip that I took to Thailand, it was in celebration of my sister's 40th birthday, like I mentioned. And it was a trip that included a number of women. Um, it was eight of us in total. And most of them, all of them really just being my sister's friends and family members, either through in-laws um, or other means, right? People who she just thought were um, amazing companions in her life and wanted to celebrate with Um so, you know, these are women who I was like the, the baby among them. All of them, as you can imagine, are like in their 40s or like nearing their 40s. And I'm just like trying to make it to 30 without breaking down. <laughs> and so it was really interesting to be like the baby of the group and to witness everyone in the group for the most part, just like have some some emblem of womanhood that like a stereotypical that is emblem of womanhood that I for whatever reason just do not have right so very plainly about 90% of the women on this trip 80-90% of the women were either um, already married and had been married for many years or engaged there were only like two of us who were not Um, and 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 only one of us who had absolutely no children, right? Um, and no prospects of any of those other things. <laughs> and so, you know, it was so interesting for me to sit around and kind of like hear these women talk about their experiences with their their spouses, their significant others, their partners, and even about their children, you know, and it was it was kind of a blessed experience, quite honestly, to just sit in their presence and to hear them just discuss the, the days, the in and outs of their days as parents, as wives, as lovers, um, and kind of like what parenthood meant to them individually, what 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 um, their partners and what romance meant to them um and the ways that they showed up for each of those various bonds and relationships and you know i just generally like to hear from older people i think that there is so much wisdom to be had and to be found from communities of older women in particular older black women because they just be knowing you know and i just felt really honored to be in their presence and to kind of see these black women who for the most part seem to be in if not full-flown like healthy uh, relationships, at least relationships that worked for them for the time being, at least, right? Like just to see how people navigated various parts of their sexuality, their identity, even their femininity, their womanhood, just very like basic definitions of what it meant to show up as a woman were challenged in, in this group, right? Because everyone had a variation of what it meant to be a good partner, to be a good woman, to be a good mother. And in not, not, not any one of those things or categories, those identities looked the same for any one of those women, right? Among them all, they all had different understandings and applications of what it meant to be either a mother, a partner, a lover, a wife, a whoever. Um, but 
all of them had something, right? Like they had either like the mommy category or or wife category down one way or another. Um, And so, you know, I'm here just like single as fuck. (laughs) And um, like in this incubation period of my life and my romantic life, that is where I'm really trying to work through some of the things that will make for a good relationship or partnership, right, with someone. Um, but I'm also mother, um, childless, right? I, I am not a mother to anyone officially um, or formally or biologically as of yet. And, um, you know, it's fine. You know, walking up and down the street by myself, living my life, you know, going about my daily routine of being a PhD student and working on this degree and doing this important research and conducting all of these scholastic and scholarly affairs, right? It's fine. It's fine in a general sense that I am none of these things and so many other things. But in the company of certain people, it's so fascinating how like it's not fine, how it can so easily become a thing. Where you sit down, and not always because people make it a thing, and oftentimes they do, right? Oftentimes they remind you of of how you have yet to, in by their standards and in their opinion, really arrive because you are neither wife nor mother, right? Um, but other times, the people don't have to do or say anything that would suggest you are inadequate because you don't carry any of these titles. Sometimes just being in the very presence of people and seeing the ways in which life has panned out for them in these stereotypical fashions can like, you know, just influence you. It can just have an impact on you, right? You just begin to think about your actual status and the state of affairs that come to define who you are in the moment. And you wonder, you know, is this it? I think particularly this is a, a, a issue for folks who desire to be any one of those things, right? If you are someone who is a woman and is completely uninterested in being a mother and completely uninterested in a notion of marriage or even long-term relationships, right? Then it doesn't, like for, for the most part, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you, it might not rather ma- matter that you are in company of women who are full-blown in those categories and are very much so happy about it, right? Because like, you know that you're like, that's not even on your radar. So there, there's nothing to compare. There's nothing to wish or hope for. There is no reminder of you not having or being anything because you don't desire anything anyway, right? At least generally speaking, that would be the scenario. But for those of us who actually desire to be these things and more because we just want to, right? Having done all the work to deconstruct the significance of, of motherhood and even the significance of like patriarchal, bounded and kind of defined and often constrained notions of marriage and union, right? We may still decide that these are things that are important to us for whatever reasons they are important to us and we want to pursue them, right? Like it, it matters sometimes when you are in company of people who seem to have the things that you desire and have yet to acquire. And so it was so interesting because I, I found myself thinking about the things that I want, right? 
And like, like these things, these specific things, I found myself thinking about like, oh, like, damn, like, when the fuck is this bitch going to be engaged? <laughs> right? Like, like, when am I, when is it going to be my turn? I found myself thinking about like, like, will I have enough time to mother my children in all of my like youthful glory, you know? where I have enough stamina and energy to be all of the kinds of things that they would want me to be as like the mom on the go. You know, I started thinking about these things quite often, in fact. Um, And then I had to check myself because I had to really think about like, oh, is this like, what is this? What is this, Jessica? What are we doing here? Right? Like, why are we consuming our time with this? Like, why are we preoccupying our time with this, this mental game of, like, when will it be me? So, today, I really want to talk about um, the case of being happy now. Of being satisfied now slash the fear of missing out, Right? Um, and if you're like me, you know, I'm sure you'd raise your hand if you wish you had something right now that you didn't already have. I feel like everybody listening on this right now should be raising their hands or could be raising their hands because so many of us have things in our lives and yet don't have everything in our life that we want. And so... We wish that we could have them because we don't have them and we eventually want them, right? Um, For some of us, though, it might be to be more more published, to have a six-figure salary, to be a business owner, to be with a child, to be thinner or thicker to be more stronger, built, to be financially stable, to be in a relationship, um, to be a jet setter, you know, uh, to be influential, to have some kind of fame and celebrityhood or celebrity status. I like to make up my own words. Um, Whatever it may be, I think many of us oftentimes are constantly looking at the future of what could be in our lives, right? Rather than simply just being okay with what is. Um, And it's so interesting because even the most well-adjusted of us, those of us who have worked really hard to develop a strong sense of self, self-confidence and self-esteem, we struggle too with what, what it really means to just like be at peace with the present, you know, to just be happy with what we have in this very moment. Um, and so funny, you know, this morning I woke up to one of my motivational quotes of the day. So I have the app called, um, I think it's called the motivation app or daily motivation or something like that. And, um, it's really cool because you get to set your theme 
for what kind of encouragement or motivation you desire, whether it's around fear or about being at peace or um, motivation around um, stress or motivation around faith or motivation around whatever, right? Whatever the hell it could be that you need motivation around. Um, and I don't remember what I select, selected my theme to be, but my motivations be dope as fuck of the day. And the one for today, um, ironically enough, is, you know, be not afraid to surrender your beliefs on how things should be to the greater will of the universe. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Be not afraid to surrender your beliefs on how things should be to the uni- to the greater will of the universe, right? So I, I, I don't know, but I just felt like, okay, bitch, you just going to call my whole shit out? Like, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for calling me out and reminding me that... Um, my beliefs, our beliefs about what we want, about what things should look like for us, about what we think things ought to look like for us, oftentimes um, can evolve and develop into a type of um, mechanism that induces fear, right? A fear-inducing mechanism. So when we latch on to these ideas of how we think things should play out in our lives. And I kind of touched on this in my last episode, I think, right? That what we're really doing is latching on to a very specific narrative that we think we have control over. At least we can exercise the most control over. So in my head, right, for, for an example, in my head, I am going to be married by the time I'm 30 years old or at least engaged around that time. And then two to three years after that, I will conceive and be with child. Um, And then I will be on the run to like create a family. And once that family is created and set, I can like begin thinking about elected leadership and da 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 and I will have been published and and will have had a tenure track position and also be working in a governmental policy position or role, right? And so this sequence of events is one that is the most conducive in my mind to the kind of success and life that I'd like to live in the future. And so because of this particular layout of events, um, I have a specific and particular type of commitment to various events in my life that will lead me to the ultimate goal of being where I would like to be in the next 10 years, right? Um, and so I develop these beliefs about how things should play out in my life, about what I should be doing with my life, and who should be in it at what point in time doing what. And so part of surrendering those beliefs is about giving up any prospect of fear that if my particular sequence, as I've laid it out to the best of my abilities and knowledge in my mind, does not play out, all will in fact still be well, right? Like, I have to give up (laughs) the notion that 
who I want to be will only come to be the way that I've imagined her being. That is a lot of work, right? That requires a lot of work to say my vision for myself is good. It may be good and fine, but it's not the only iteration that exists, right? And if it's not the only iteration that exists, there means there must be some other iteration. And the chances are that that iteration might be better or worse than whatever my iteration is. But because I have been responsible for creating this vision for myself of what the sequence of events in my life ought to look like, I trust that it must be the best possible because I know what I want for myself and I know that I believe that that I deserve the best, right? Or at least I think that I do. And I believe that whatever I do in honor of myself will be the best that I could be doing for myself. And so if my iteration is, for all intents and purposes, the best rendition of what I could have for myself, then any other thing is necessarily going to induce fear, right? Because how do I know that any other version of how my life can plan out or pan out is going to be good enough? Okay, so if I don't know that, fear is what then cripples me, right? Fear is what takes a hold of my actions and my ability to surrender this set of beliefs of how life will will play out for me. But there's a second part to this, this motivational quote, right? And the second part says to recognize right and i'm and and i'm i'm filling in here right but what it's calling us to do what it's calling jessica to do this morning is to recognize the greater will of the universe it says be not afraid to surrender your beliefs on how things should be to the greater will of the universe and so literally herein lies this very point that i'm making which is that It is so difficult to believe that there can be a greater will, a greater desire, a greater plan for yourself outside of the plan that you've already concocted. It takes a lot of work to surrender that authority to something that already has more authority than us to begin with. And it's so funny, right? And it's so ironic how it would take so much work to give up something that already doesn't really belong to us so that we can get what we really deserve and desire. But it's true. We still struggle to do this, right? We still have to go through the motions of doing this thing. And like, it's a humbling experience, in fact, to recognize that the greater will of the universe is just that. It is greater than whatever it is we can concoct or sometimes even will for ourselves. Often, sometimes, you know, sometimes the will that we have for our lives does align with the universe's will for us. And in that sense, it is a, it's a beautiful celebration when who we want to be and what we want to accomplish and acquire in the world directly aligns with what God has already planned and predestined for our lives, right? That is always something to celebrate and to feel so magnificently happy about. But oftentimes, too, other times, 
on other occasions, um, you know, what we want for ourselves doesn't even come close to what it is the universe has in store for us. But the fear of not knowing what we don't know, right, can cripple us and really prevent us from surrendering, from letting go of that firm, nail-dug grip on what we want life to look like for us to what life can look like for us. And so I have to continually ask myself, Jessica, what does it look like to be happy now? And what is there for the relationship between being happy now and being unafraid of surrendering my beliefs on how things should be? How do these two things relate? Right? Well, one, when we are fixated on the future, and how things will be for us when we are fixated on whether or not we are going to um, get that six-figure salary job and how we should be making more money and how we can be, you know, in a more esteemed position or role in our company um, to get more status, to get more respect, to get more fame from within our community and our groups, right? When we are when we are fixated on the amount of accolades we can acquire, right? The amount of awards that we might receive for the kinds of things that we produce. When we are fixated on the um, number of years we have on our lives before we are able to find a significant other and eventually settle down, right? And create this American dream of the wholesome, heteronormative American family. Um, I, with the children, the mother who was able to give, ch- with, give birth to, to a child um, and, and make children of her own with a husband who is adoring and makes money and blah, 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 right? When we are fixated on the amount of money that we make and we have in a bank and how much we're able to save and the kinds of things we're able to invest in and when we can make more money and get more and receive more and just be more, what we're really doing is dishonoring our present in many ways. When we're fixated on these things, not when we plan for or create a timeline or a vision board for these things. I want to make that very clear, right? It's about fixating. And a fixation really is an obsession, right? It's about giving room and space to a thing in your life more than it really deserves or more than it should be having so that it does not impact your capacity to do the other things that exist already for you in your life at the moment. So if the amount of time that I spend um, on a day-to-day basis renders my obsession over my future um, to have much more of a grip on my time, much more of a hold on my time and my energy than let's say like being present and recognizing the beauty and the power and impact of the work that I am currently in the midst of, which is this dissertation project, then I am fixating on a thing in a way that is really um, 
deteriorating my ability to be present and to do the work of the present to the best of my ability, right? So let me give another example. I have a friend who has been thinking about um, leaving their job for a, a quite a time, quite a while now, right? For a very long time. Um, and there's so many reasons why this person probably should leave their job. And there are other reasons why they probably don't need to leave their jobs, right? But a lot of the time this person has spent um, really thinking about next steps. Like, when will I get the job that pays me comparable to the rest of my peers? Um, or how will I be able to gain a new role that will... Um, be more commensurable with the kind of education that I have and my professional background and experience, right? What they're doing also simultaneously, even if unbeknownst to them, is like disinvesting their energy from the very present, right? Because there's a level of dissatisfaction that helps to frame a desire to want something else, right? If you continually want if you want more and if you're continually fixated and concerned about receiving what you do not have currently, what you're in, in fact really manifesting is a dissatisfaction to what things look like currently, what, they, what the present has for you and what you are in the midst of doing. And that dissatisfaction can be motivation and can be positive because sometimes in order to not be in a rut, we need dissatisfaction to fuel ambition to get us on the other side of things, right? But the dissatisfaction, when taken disproportionately, can also render our present meaningless to us. And help us, or rather push us in a direction where we disinvest from what we're doing currently and not give it our very best. If you are dissatisfied with where you are right now, what, it, what it ultimately you are really um, bringing into fruition, what you're manifesting, is a kind of ungratefulness for what is in your life at the moment. And I think that for many of us, you know, while... The need to cultivate ambition is important so that we can break out of fear and launch ourselves in the direction that we are destined to be in. Um, for the rest of us, you know, spending too much time thinking about what else could be happening for us and the other things that we'd like for us uh, to be really loosens and weakens our attachment to the present. And we begin to be, we become unsatisfied and, and never at ease, right? And we struggle then with being happy now because we're so intentionally invested on being happy later being happy once we've gotten x y or z accomplished we believe that we won't ever really achieve the epoch of our happiness the the apex of our 
greatest fulfillment and feelings of joy and satisfaction if we don't get the next thing on our list to get. And, and why is this a problem, right? Why is this, what does it matter that we are invested in our futures and that we're thinking and, and fixating on the next best thing? Because on the surface of it, it might seem like, well, this is the life that we live. This is the world that we live in. Why would we not want more for ourselves? Why would we not stay focused on our goals, right? Um, and it's not a matter of being focused on your goals. I think there's a distinction to be made between being focused on what it is that we say we would like to accomplish for ourselves and making sure that we are accountable to the actions that we take that lead us in that direction and being completely obsessed with a future that has yet to come into existence to the point where we are unable to see what we have in the moment and to make well with it. That is a problem because when we eventually acquire the thing that we have been obsessing over, we would have already developed at such an intense rate and capacity an inability to be satisfied and at peace in happiness with the present that when the future arrives and becomes our new present, we won't even know how to celebrate and honor it in its arrival, right? Part of the work of being happy now, being at peace with where we are now and doing our very best in our present circumstances and honoring who we are able to be, the work that we're able to accomplish in this moment is that it allows us the opportunity to really grow ourselves and evolve ourselves into the kind of people that can appreciate and be able to settle with, love on, And welcome and embrace in wholesomeness all the bounties of the future that we would have been working on. If we live in a space of dissatisfaction and ungratefulness and we make that a practice right here, right now, what we do, what we are doing is setting up ourselves to never be fully satisfied ever at any space, at any place. What we are doing is creating a dearth right? We're creating a revolving dearth, a revolving dearth in our lives where we are never going to be able to be filled and therefore at peace and therefore happy with what is now. It is a skill to be happy. Oftentimes, people believe that happiness is a thing that you just get once you get more. We think that in the process of acquiring, in the process of becoming a mother, in the process of getting married and being a wife, that we actually get happy, that we somehow automatically buy into happiness and that we will have arrived once these things arrive. But happiness is a state, right? It is a state of being that exists outside of the context of our material and object formed gains, right? Who we are able to be when we have or don't have really determines how we're able to exist with the things once we have them. And I, for one, have been 
trying to be as cognizant and conscientious about my interest in my future, right? And I've been really trying to interrogate that, interrogate my moments of fixation on like my time and when I will receive and when things will come to be for me, right? I find myself often asking, like, when will it be my turn, you know? When will Jessica get to say that she is engaged? When will Jessica get to say that she has a child? You know, I desire so greatly to mother because I believe that I would be a fantastic mother because I have so much love to give. And I am just so invested in cultivating strong, beautiful human minds that are loving and full of so much joy and light to share to the world, right? I want human beings who will bring light to the world. And I believe I have the capacity to nurture those beings into existence. And motherhood is so important for me. I love love. I love the notion of long-term commitment. I think that there's something really brilliant about that. There's something very exciting and challenging about committing yourself to someone for as long as you are able to commit to them, for as long as eternity will have you, is what I like to say. There's something really sacred about that that I like and I personally wish to honor in my own life. And these things are so important to me, you know, and I think that obviously they become even more importantly, increasingly important to me because I am getting old as fuck too, you know, and even that is a kind of construct that deserves interrogation itself, that notion of becoming too old for anything to be worthwhile to do, right? Like that itself deserves serious interrogation and some um, real challenge, but you know, I'm here at this state in my life where most of my peers have already endeavored on either of these paths. And it doesn't mean, right, I have to continually remind myself that it does not mean that these folks are in fact happy and that they have arrived at the apex of happiness. It just means that they have been able to cross off another milestone and that they are who they are, living these lives now tethered to children and now tethered to another person while they still have to figure out what it means to live too for themselves. And it's this kind of reality check that's important for me to have because it reminds me that the woman that I want to be, that I want to continually be, the one that I want to grow deeper into is a woman that is going to be before I achieve any of these things and that probably ought to exist after I achieve any of these things, right? But that to have a very solid sense of who I am before I get the next best thing is super important for the integrity of my identity because so often do these uh, milestones, these benchmarks as socially constructed as they may be, they inform the kind of people that we can actually, that we think that we ought to be and that we actually end up being. You know, they they co-opt us and our identities, in other words. They take a hold of who we are and we make gods out of them. And we 
contort ourselves to fit these ready-made boxes, thinking that the new pre-made and pre-given identity and definition of, of this new category of self is sufficient to encompass all of who we've been before and all of who we desire to continue to be. And the truth of the matter, it's not, right? And that's truly how dissatisfaction really breathes out in a way that becomes destructive. Because when we find ourselves waiting to allow a category or another event to define us, and then we end up realizing that that definition is insufficient or constraining or confining or just altogether oppressive, (laughs) we then begin to question the very construct itself, the very notion of the thing itself. And then we end up doing what? Wanting to file for divorce, wishing we were never parents to begin with, not being capable of like actually doing this thing called motherhood or parenthood. Um, and, and we just find ourselves lost as fuck and tight as fuck and pissed as fuck. And as if we've been consumed by a thing that we had no business or no notion of being consumed by. And so it's this reality, right, that, that really forces me, that helps to sober me up and remind me, and I hope it does the same to you who is listening, that the, the, the place that we want to be really is here for ourselves, is fully present with ourselves, with the kind of woman, the kind of man, the kind of person that we want to be. Where we really want to be is in a place where we are able to hear ourselves clearly, clearly, to trust ourselves deeply, to love ourselves enough, to know in such an intimate way what it is that we need to be okay. What it is that makes us feel satisfied, to make, that makes us feel at peace, that makes us whole. Because if we don't have a very strong and sacred sense of self, of, of worth and desire here, right here, right now, if we don't believe that who we are in this present time is valuable and that what we are producing in this present moment is beautiful and worthy of our investment and our time and our energy, then whatever it is that we have to acquire in the future, we will just be as willing and as able to disrespect. If we can't value us here and us now, what makes us think that we will be able to value us later? What makes us think that we will be equipped to love, celebrate, and honor the next level of who we are able to be? It is a state of continual gratitude, a state of humility, a state of happiness that we should seek. That state is inborn. It is internally fixed. It's about who we are, not what we have. The moment we make it about what we have, the moment we disempower ourselves and we transfer the space of control 
right? That locus from within ourselves to another thing. We objectify our control. We begin to objectify our happiness. We begin to objectify our state of peace and joy and happiness. But there is no need to objectify those things when we keep the locus of our happiness on the inside. The locus of our satisfaction from here, the point of inner. And in this new decade, when everything seems to be topsy-fucking-turvy and the desire to desire more just seems unrestricted. It is important more than ever before that we resonate in the present. It is more important than ever before that we are here and that we recognize the value of what it means to be us here, the value of Jessica today. That sitting here, creating this podcast episode, that sitting here, reading this book, sitting here, typing up the transcript to these interviews, sitting here, meeting with these individuals and, and interviewing them and, 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 and recording their stories and testimonies sitting here preparing to present my work at another conference, sitting here really fleshing out the details of this project and becoming more clear on it, that living alone on the islands without a child, without a man, right, without a home to call my own yet, that there is a beauty and a sacredness of being here, right here, right now, and that my capacity to be here and right here and right now with utter peace and satisfaction and happiness and gratitude is what is equipping me daily, bit by bit, piece by piece, to be at peace with what will come into fruition later. My capacity to love on myself And to respect every moment of my day as my day is happening here before me. And not as my day will probably happen later, but the day that is today. My capacity to love who I am today. To be grateful for what I have accomplished to date. To be at peace with what this moment has for me. It's only strengthening the capacity that I will have to be utterly grateful for the things that are meant to come to me tomorrow. So surrendering my beliefs of what I want my future to hold, giving up my desire to fixate and to be obsessed in a kind of incessant manner with what should be for me, is allowing the greater will of God to manifest in my life in ways that might even shock me. And I rather see the greatest that is available to me than be so fixated on what I think I should get that I miss out on what I really deserve.